We, uh, we've been walking through the Gospel of John leading up to the cross here. And, uh, and so I'll invite you to go ahead and turn your Bibles there to John chapter 20. We're going to walk through the, the entire chapter, John 20, today. So if you have a Bible or Bible app, I uh, invite you to open it up, follow along. We have Bibles underneath the chairs in front of you. If you don't have a Bible, uh, uh, take that Bible as a gift. As you're uh, turning in your Bibles or opening up, the cynics or, or cynical people or skeptics often look upon the church or Christianity as kind of brainwashing, kind of uh, 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 unreasonable faith, if you will. And so you open your Bibles and close your minds. Well, this morning, it, as we walk through God's Word... As we walk through history, we're going to see the contrary. That our faith is not unreasonable, but quite reasonable. And like any significant thing in this life, it's going to require faith. There's a choice that we must all make. Will we believe? But we have evidence to base that on. Particularly as we come to this significant thing that we're celebrating today, The resurrection of Jesus. This isn't a small thing. You see, the resurrection of Jesus is is deeply, deeply rooted in significant consequences. You see, because as Tim Keller puts it, if Jesus didn't raise from the dead, then he's just another man. Don't worry about it. Just go and live your life however you want. But if Jesus is actually risen, alive now, then he's God and everything he said is true. The implications are significant. Many people have skeptics have tried to explain away or reason away why the resurrection can't be true. And one of the basic kinds of uh, 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 reasons that was given in order to explain away the resurrection, the empty tomb, was that the disciples pulled a big prank. They stole the body. They stole Jesus' body from the grave. The Babylon Bee, which if you don't know what that is, it's a, a Christian satire. And it's important to know it's satire. It makes fun of things. And it uses the opposite, if you will, sarcasm to prove Something's true. To expose something. And, and this past week, is it, on April Fool's, of course, it posted about the disciples decided to, this, this hoax of the resurrection. And it, and it shows this video of them around a fire, and they're, 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 they're talking, and Jesus is dead, and, and, they're all, and, and, and they're all reflecting on how sad that is. And, and Peter comes up with this great plan that they're going to... They're going to steal the body. They're going to roll away this massive stone, steal the body, and then tell everybody that he's raised from the dead so that they can be brutally murdered. And then they start dancing and screaming. Woo! We're going to be brutally murdered. What the satire is referring to is the absurdity of the consequences of claiming that Jesus was alive led to their death 
Not just, just any kind of death. Let me share with you from one of Rome's greatest historians. His name is Tacitus. This is written in A.D. 64, so 30 years after Jesus' death and resurrection, within the life of the disciples. This is not written from the perspective of a follower of Jesus. This is an objective kind of resource here, establishing both the historicity of Jesus Christ and the impact of his life. During the reign of Nero, Nero, the emperor, set Rome on fire. And this is what Tacitus says. But all the endeavors of men did not suffice to allay the scandal or banish the belief that the fire in Rome had been ordered. And so to get rid of this rumor, Nero set up as culprits and punished with the utmost refinement of cruelty, a class hated for their abominations, who were commonly called Christians. Christus, from whom their name was derived, was executed at the hands of the procurator Pontius Pilate in the region of Tiberias. Checked for the moment, this pernicious superstition again broke out not only in Judea, but also in Rome. Accordingly, Arrest was first made of those who had confessed to be Christians. Then, on their evidence, an immense multitude was convicted. Not so much on the charge of arson, but because of hating the human race. How ironic. Besides being put to death, get this, they were made to serve as objects of amusement. They were all clad in the hides of animals and torn to death by dogs. Others were crucified. Others set on fire to serve to light up the night when daylight failed. Nero had thrown open his grounds for the display and was putting on a circus. And the people there, as they observed, gave move, were moved by pity. For it was felt that they were being destroyed, not actually for public good, but to gratify the cruelty of an individual. After confessing, they were followers of Jesus Christ. They knew that there was a consequence. They had a choice. Worship Caesar. Renounce Jesus. They knew the consequence. Torn apart by dogs. Crucified. Burned alive. What? Why? Why would they do that? Why would they go through with that? Because they knew Jesus was their Lord and their God. And he was not dead. He's alive. And he was alive in them. He's not just worth living for. But he's worth dying for. If Jesus had not been raised from the dead, this would be a hoax. This would just be easily just something you you pass aside. No, you know, we really didn't mean it. But it's true. The evidence is in the early believers and the risks that they took. They had evidence. And by believing that evidence and the resurrection of Jesus, they experienced life both now 
as well as for eternity. And that's what we stand upon today, friends. He's alive. Is he alive in you? Like he was in them. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we come to you as we, as we come to your word and, and considering Jesus, the significance of what we celebrate today, that it's, it's not just warm and fuzzy, Lord, this fairy tale, this, this sense of this distant idea, Lord God. Not a, something that hurt historically happened in the past, but God, you are alive today, Jesus. That same power, that same person who revealed himself. Then, Lord Jesus, you reveal yourself to us, but in a different way. And we have evidence, though. You give us to ground and anchor ourselves in. Father, would you move in us, Lord, as we, we are tempted to just go about our days, to go about life. Jesus, simply just with the intellectual agreement. Yeah, I believe that happened. God, we don't receive it. We don't let you come and live in us. We don't live in light that death has been destroyed. That there is more to life, God, because you've been raised from the dead. Work it in us, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. We're going to take this passage here, this chapter here, episode by episode. Jump with me here. Verses 1 through 10, friends. As we see in these, in these verses here, that like the disciples, we also must see the evidence that Jesus was raised from the dead. And we must make a choice. Will we believe? Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene went, came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. And she ran and went... To Simon Peter and the other disciples, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They've taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they've laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciples, and they were going toward the tomb. But both of them were running together. But the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon came, Peter came. Following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus's head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in and he saw and believed for as yet did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. In this first episode, if you will, is the encounter of the empty tomb. Mary, Mary and, and, and several other ladies, as you heard Dan Reed, went to the tomb to, to, to continue to show honor to Jesus, to bring spices. And when she gets there, she sees something absolutely remarkable. More devastating than anything else. Because you have to remember, none of them, none of them had any idea, any concept that Jesus was going to rise from the dead. This was not in anyone's mind at all. And so we see for her first conclusion, 
the stone is rolled, the body's gone. People have stolen the body. This is actually a common enough phenomenon that one of the, 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 the Caesars, Emperor Claudius, would eventually order capital punishment for people who would steal bodies from the graves. This wasn't, again, uncommon. Their first reaction, somebody's taking the body. This is part of the authenticity of this story that they didn't, they, they themselves didn't believe, and they themselves had the first instinct that the body must have been stolen, but not by them. She goes and tells Peter and John. John is the, the beloved disciple mentioned here, and they go to the tomb and they rush in, they see they see something that's a bit remarkable. They see something that's it's out of kind of place. John picks up on it. And maybe you did too. The grave clothes were still there. If somebody's gonna, if somebody's gonna steal a body, they're not gonna like carefully unwrap it and unwrap the the headdress and fold it up real nicely and set it on the on the uh, the table there. They're gonna take the body and they're gonna run. You know, they're not exactly gonna go. Ooh, who's this guy? Jesus. Ooh, he's looking pretty nasty. I gotta take time to examine the body. They're gonna take the body and run. Let alone fold up the head. Like what? John picks up on this. He sees these little bits like something isn't quite adding up here. There's something more going on. John gives testimony. In verse 8 it says he believed. But they didn't know this. In verse 9 it explains they didn't understand that Jesus had to rise from the dead. In the next episode here, verses 11 through 18, join with me. Now Mary, weeping outside the tomb, as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. She saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, they've taken away my Lord. I do not know where they've laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've laid him and I will and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary, she turned to him in Aramaic, Rabbanai, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, do not cling to me, for I'm not yet ascended to the father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my father and your father to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I've seen the Lord. And that he had said these things to her. This episode here is, is, is quite remarkable. And, and gives, gives testimony that the authors here are not trying to write some carefully crafted story that's after the fact in order to uh, 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 cause us to manipulate our thoughts. To be persuasive. What I mean by that 
is that women were not seen as trustworthy testimony. If you went to a court of law in order to prove something that was true or to prove somebody was guilty, you did not rely on the testimony of women at this time. Although today we find that many women may be even more truthful than us men, right? (laughs) Women were property. Jesus elevated women, the value of all people. But this testimony of a woman is just authentic recording of how the events happened. They're not trying to organize things to be manipulative and, and, and lead us to a certain conclusion, but to lay out the facts. Mary was the first that Jesus revealed himself to. Now, of course, she didn't recognize, she didn't didn't understand those were angels in the tomb sitting there. She didn't understand even that Jesus was right there. Something that was different about Jesus. And it was only when he spoke her name. Some of you have encountered this. He's spoken your name. He's seen you. And you know you've encountered him. He's seen you. And he's called you his own. And you've been forever changed. Jesus knows you. Jesus called her name Mary. This, of course, wasn't quite like, you know, many of us, when we hear our name called, it's probably because we got in trouble. Scott David Barter! Jane says that way too often. <laughs> I'm honest. Like so, most of the time, when I hear my name, I'm like, "What I do? What I do?" She knew that voice because it was the voice of love. It was the voice of the one who had set her free from seven demons that had possessed her. They gave us her new life. It changed her. It welcomed her. The testimony goes on. She goes to the disciples. She shares with them in the other accounts. They don't believe her because she's a woman. And of course, you know, she gets emotional and sees things, right? Verse 19. On the evening of that day which is today, Sunday, the first day of the week. The doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side, and the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them, Peace be with you. The Father has sent me, so I'm sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed upon them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive sins of any, they are forgiven. If you have withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. In this episode, Jesus continues... Revealing himself, giving evidence of his resurrection. Again, we, we, have, we have the scenario here, the, the, the doors were locked. And the significance of John recording this is to show the miraculous nature with which Jesus shows up. Now, my family knows I'm a bit ornery. And so, 
I would have said something a little different than peace be with you. I've been like, boo. You know, like something dramatic. You know, you show up, you make a scene because I'm a little bit dramatic and I like to make a scene. Not Jesus. Yep. Yep. Jesus steps in among them and he speaks these words. And, and, And I'll unpack this a little bit here later. Peace be with you. Shalom. It's the word in Hebrew. Shalom. And he reveals himself. He shows, look at my hands. Look at my side. He's showing them, like, I am, I am the one who was crucified. That same Jesus. He's giving them the evidence. That this isn't some sham. This isn't, again, some vision that they're kind of checking their cups going, what did they put in this morning? Peace be with you. And the disciples were glad. Can you imagine? This is where, where shows like, for example, I referred to this the other day, Chose, The Chosen or, or other movies. That they're trying at their best way to depict the life of Jesus where it puts this in flesh. That sometimes the words on the page just don't, just, just don't have the gravity. They don't put us in the moment. I mean, try with our best efforts here to put us in this situation where you're seeing, and all of a sudden, again, the room is closed, and a person just shows up, and it happens to be the one who was being crucified two days ago. And he shows up, and he says, look at my hands, my feet, my side. It happens to be Jesus Christ. And the implication, like, what's happening in your mind? Because, again, you got to test, like, am I, am I seeing things? Are you seeing this? And, and, and as reality starts to set in, what is happening? What is happening? What, what is happening? Jesus is alive! The word glad here is, wow. Way to go, Jesus. Fist bump. Nice job. It's, it's, it's neuter, it's impotent kind of English language. They're exceeding, they're just like they're out of their minds. He's alive. This has never happened before. And of course, you can imagine they're still struggling because anybody's mind would just be wrecked with, with, with trying to make sense. Is this true? Jesus speaks to them, affirming them. And John is giving a condensed version here. He's speaking true things, but he's giving a condensed version here. And by saying, peace be with you, what Jesus is saying, shalom, this has new meaning because in the word shalom, meaning peace, meaning that I, on the cross, he says, it's finished. You have peace with God. Now, because of my sacrifice in your place, I have made peace with God for you. All things will be made new. Shalom beforehand was his sense of a wish. We hope that all things will be well for you. But when Jesus speaks shalom, he speaks knowing all things will be well for you. And there's implications. If Jesus is alive, if he's risen, 
And as he told Mary, don't cling to me. He's referring that I've got to go. He told the disciples, I've got to go away so I can send you the spirit. Because you're going to be my witnesses. You're going to continue what I started. I'm sending you just as I was sent. This mission of salvation, this mission of forgiveness, I'm sending you out. And I'm giving you the power of the spirit. I'm I'm going to give myself to you, my spirit to live in you. Because you can't do this on your own. It's one thing that Jesus was risen from the dead. It's another thing that the risen Jesus would live in us. So he gives us the spirit. He breathes on them. Now it's one thing to have a group of ten people, ten disciples, maybe a few more. But they could still collude together. We're all going to agree on this story. But not all the disciples were there. One, in fact, wasn't, as well as probably others. And that was Thomas. Thomas wasn't there. He didn't collude. He wasn't going to join the bandwagon. I need to see the evidence myself. So verse 24, Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we've seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails, and I place my finger in the mark of the nails, and place my hand in his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, the disciples were inside again. Thomas was with them, and the doors locked again. Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. And he said to Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands. Put out your, put out your hand. Place it in my side. Do not disbelieve. But believe. Thomas answered. As we're all invited to answer in response to the evidence. My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, have you believed because you've seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Once again, John is just trying to present The facts as they presented themselves. Thomas did not believe. And Jesus, who hears all things, who knows all things, he knew Thomas's words and his thoughts. You think of how personal that is. He knows your thoughts. He knows your private moments and questions and wondering. And he will answer. He will speak. He will show up. And he comes in. Doors locked. Shows up. Peace be with you. Can you imagine putting your hand in the side of Jesus where the spear shoved up in there to make sure he was dead and blood and water. Can you imagine touching like, like Caravaggio depicts here? Can you just imagine that? Putting yourself in that situation? Touching his hands? Many of you are like, 
I'm not going to touch that. I'll just see you from a distance. I'm good, Jesus. I believe. The evidence is overwhelming for Thomas. Overwhelming. Overcoming his very soul. And he recognizes Jesus is not just a human king that came to sit on a human throne in order to to liberate just one nation. Jesus is God. And he's not just a king. He's the king of kings. For all nations. My Lord and my God. The testimony didn't just stop with these disciples in this moment. There's even further evidence. Paul goes on later to explain in 1 Corinthians 15. Check this out. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, which is Peter, at the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. Paul declares here, one thing in there, I don't know if you caught it, was was quite dangerous. The evidence. Jesus appeared to over 500 people, of which many are still alive. You know what? When you claim that witnesses are still alive, you know what the implications are. People can go talk to them. People can verify your story. And they did. The disciples, the, the Christians... As they were faced with being torn apart by animals, set on fire alive to be crucified again. They didn't do this out of some delusion, but out of the reality that it was grounded in the physical person of Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. That our king is alive. More than that, he's living in me. He's changed me. John explains, as as Tasso read earlier, Jesus did many signs. Verses 30 and 31. Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And that by believing you may have life in his name. As I mentioned earlier, Tim Keller made the claim, the resurrection changes everything. Everything hints upon the resurrection. You see, if Jesus, if Jesus was raised from the dead, then everything he said is true. He is our God. He is your king. But do you believe it? 
These things were written so that you may believe Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. John, for the disciples, as they're taking it in, what's happening with Jesus, everything that he said all of a sudden means something completely different. John specifically sets out to record particular statements and claims that Jesus has made about himself, which are promises to us. They're called I am statements. All of the things that Jesus said are true, are true about himself. He said he would rise from the dead. He said that he was God. These statements then therefore must be true and have significant implication for us now as well as for eternity. Let's walk through these quickly here. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Friends, Jesus, because he is your Lord and God, he satisfies. Some of you are hungering, you're thirsty, you're looking for things in this life, whether it's relationships, whether it's possessions, whether it's, whether it's <clears throat> your circumstances being changed in the right way, just looking for satisfaction. You're not going to find it anywhere in anything in this life, but you will in Jesus Christ. He will satisfy. He is everything you need, both now and for eternity. Not only is he the bread of life, which satisfies your soul and what you need. He's the light of the world. You know, the next slide. And again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Many have been plagued just by gnawing lies of darkness of your worthlessness. Messages that may have been told to you growing up. Messages that come from just the pit of hell of, of <clears throat> you're unlovable, you're dirty, no one cares about you, lies, Jesus brings the light of truth. He brings hope in the midst of the darkness where, where, where we feel like there is no end in this tunnel and the light at the end is only an oncoming train. Jesus produces hope in us. The suffering will not last in this life. And not only that, but freedom, freedom from oppression, freedom from the darkness that plagues you. Being the light of the world. Jesus also calls himself the gate or the door, the sheep gate or the door, the good shepherd. He says, I'm the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal, kill and destroy. I come that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. Friends, as we celebrate and remind ourselves on Good Friday, Jesus paid it all. On the cross, he says, it is finished. By claiming he's the door, he's saying, there is a way to be saved. 
There is a way to be redeemed and you can't do it yourself, but I will do it for you. You don't have to keep beating yourself down. You don't have to keep trying to make up for your sinfulness. I've done it all for you. Come to me. You have access through me. In fact, I will lay myself down for you. I'm gentle. I will take your burden and your brokenness. Come to me. I'm the good shepherd. I will lead you. Follow me. He doesn't stop there. He claims also, I am the resurrection and the life. Talking to to Mary as her brother Lazarus is dead. He tells her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? I am the resurrection. You see, those who were being burned alive, crucified, torn apart by animals, they knew this isn't the end. This isn't the end. The best is yet to come. It's just but a threshold. In this world, we will have trouble, but he's overcome. There's more. And it's even better. And not only that, but being giving us life, he gives us life now. He empowers us to live in the face of death, live in the face of suffering, live in the face of our own sin and struggles and brokenness. We can live though we're dying. I am the way, the truth, and the life, he goes on to say. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would know my father also. From now on, you do know him and to see him. We can know truth. Truth isn't something we create. Truth isn't something merely in the eye of the beholder. It's not our personal experience. The truth is Jesus Christ, the one who made you, the one who died for you and redeems you. He shows us what truth is. He shows us God himself by coming to us. He liberates us, therefore. And finally, he is the vine. We are the branches, which means he gives us power. Where we remain in him. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Power. Power. You and I cannot live this in, in this life. We cannot live love The disciples, they went from these fearful, insecure, competitive, bumbling fools and something radical changed. Not just in the scriptures testify this, but others, again, Romans and and, and, and other sources, Jews even testify the change that happened among Christians that they themselves would take care of of the poor and, and the vulnerable, the sick. You see, in that society, if you were vulnerable, if you were sick, you were kicked to the curb. Literally kicked to the curb. In order to die. One Roman emperor noted, they not only take care of their own sick, they take care of ours too. To our own shame. The believers were known to set up systems by which the 
the poor and those who were in, who, who, who were in need and, and, and women and, 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 and the vulnerable were taken care of. They were generous in order to care for others. How, what happened? They were bold in the face of confrontation. They were bold in the face of death instead of being insecure and fearful. What happened? Jesus came back from the dead. That risen Savior. He know, it's not just that He lives, but He lives in them. You see, Jesus came to give us life by those who believe. We, if we believe, He gives us life. It's not enough, friends. It's not enough that we intellectually agree with the resurrection. That's not enough. It's not enough that we Facebook post about the resurrection or on your Insta chat or Snapgram or whatever it is. My kids are ashamed of me. If you were trusting to believe that airplanes are are, are safe, for example... It's like 30 to 40% of of people in America struggle with anxiety and fear about flying on airplanes. It's a common, common anxiety and fear. Many people don't, haven't ever flown before at all. But the facts are, you can go ahead and research this yourself. It's safer to fly than it is to drive. One in three people in Worthington alone will die this year just from car crashes. But compared to airline deaths, it's, airline deaths are minuscule. The safety is, is, is far greater. The f- there's plenty of facts, but it's one thing to say, I, I understand that. I'm just going to stay over here. I'm just going to drive my car. I'm going to stay in the continental United States. I don't need to see the rest of the world. I don't need to get somewhere fast. I'm just going to drive. It's fine. I can say I intellectually agree with the truth that airplanes are safer. But you don't actually believe until you get on that plane. You don't actually believe that airplanes are safer until you make that flight. And you put all their weight in that plane and let it take you away. Friends, Unless we surrender to Jesus Christ. Unless we follow him. Believe it's not enough to show up here on Sundays. It's not enough just. To talk about it. Do you want to be changed? Because he's offering you life. And when we believe. You will experience life. Going from pride to humility. Going from, from greed to generosity. Go, going, going from being addicted and, 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 and caught in compulsions to being released and alive. Going, going from insecurity to peace. Going from suffering and, and darkness to having light. Going from wounds to being healed. He gives life. And you won't experience that unless you get on that plane. Unless you trust Jesus all in and you follow And you surrender. And like Thomas, you get down in your heart. And you say, my Lord and my God. And you surrender. We must be moved, friends, if the resurrection is real. 
he's alive. But the difference only happens is if he's alive in you. Have you welcomed him? Man, start today if you have not. Let him make you alive. Let him change you. Let's rise. Let's rise with Christ. Not just celebrate a distant historical event, something with just merely an intellectual thing that we're going to choose to agree with, but something that's living in this moment in you. I'm going to have the worship team come on down. He is alive. Is he alive in you? Do you believe? If you're wrestling with this today, come and talk with me. would love to help you experience life through Jesus Christ. He is risen. Amen? Amen. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for coming to us. Even today, Lord, as, as we have walked through the evidence as John has laid it out, and there's so much more, there's so much more. But God, it's not unreasonable that we would conclude from your scriptures, from the lives of those who follow you, who saw you, Lord, who passed that testimony on to others, Lord Jesus. The testimony, Jesus, of you alive in us, Lord God. It's enough for us to take that step of faith and believe. Lord, show us what it means, God, to surrender today, to give all our weight, to step onto that plane, to, to, to trust in you, Jesus. To live for you, Jesus, because you're living in us. Father, we pray, God, as we go forward today, Lord, may we be sent out as you sent the disciples. God, may others around us see us and wonder what is different. What is that joy that they have? What is that peace that they have? What is that freedom that they have? In the midst of their struggles, in the midst of their darkness, in the midst of their brokenness, why are they different? Lord God, may others see the resurrected King in us as well. And may they believe and have life. In your name we pray. Amen.